Hey, Al McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel. Hi, everyone. Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. Tonight's matchup on the Solar Panel. Espo versus the Silver Fox versus Carmel Thunder. Ahoy, ahoy! Hello, and welcome, everybody, into another edition of the Solar Panel. I am your host, Greg Esposito. Whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we appreciate you the Flaming Ballers for joining us and joining me as always is the Silver Fox, Dave King. Dave, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for that intro, man. And the Carmel Thunder from down under it is Saul Bookman. Saul, how are you? Um, just fine today. <laughs> you sound so thrilled. <laughs> so <laughs> thrilled as always. Uh, this is our audio only edition, so you can't see, but there is a fourth uh, on the show today and we are very excited to welcome Bobby Marks of ESPN. Bobby, thank you so much for taking the time for us here on the Solar Panel. Hey, guys. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Thank you. Uh, we do appreciate it. You've been on our show a few times in the past couple of years, and, and uh, I always, always really appreciate your insights um, as a former front office guy, too. So you know how, the, how front offices work. The first question I want to ask you is how much credit um, – did anyone see James Jones coming? First of all, I mean, it took him 18 months to make this the second go from the second worst team in the league or the very worst team in the league to the second best. Did anyone see James Jones coming? I know it's amazing how time changes things, right? Remember, what was it? 2000, I guess, 2019 draft when James was basically being like slaughtered with for Cam, the, Johnson. Uh, Cam Johnson pick because all the mock drafts had him in the 20s. And how can you pick a guy in the lottery if the mock drafts say he's he should be the 22nd pick? And then, you know, certainly, I guess the TJ Warren trade, um, you know, going to Indiana as mm -hmm. far as the return, the return value. Um, and I understood, I understood the TJ trade. I, I mean, maybe, I, Hey, you could always second guess maybe what your return value, just because TJ had never, you know, hadn't been healthy in, in Phoenix. And if you were getting cam and then you were getting Sarich and, you know, and you're filling out your roster with, uh, with bridges, like where is TJ going to actually play? Um, and you might as well kind of cut bait and, and, um, and have a fresh start, but yeah, I mean, and, and then you go out and you get Chris, um, you know, in the off season, and every move that he has made so far, probably the one thing you could probably, I guess, critique, and we don't even know where that's going to go, is maybe your draft pick um, because there's such a – he's such a – I would say he's a project right now and maybe some of the other players that were picked um, after him. Sure. You know, certainly we can make the argument about Halliburton, how he's played in <clears> – <throat> how he's played in Sacramento, but where would his minutes be in Phoenix? So – but James in that front office, they, they have certainly done a nice job – putting together, um, you know, with Chris and then, you know, just these like trimming around the edges type de deals with like Langston Galloway and Etuan Moore bringing back Sarge on a, on a really good contract here. Um, and Aiton's playing, I mean, we, we can talk about Aiton all we want, but he's playing, you know, it feels like whenever DeAndre's field goal attempts are up, this team plays um, a little bit of different, a little more, I would say a little bit more dominant, but so far so good for, um, you know, for, for Phoenix as far as where they are right now. We were all shocked at the Chris Paul uh, trade, that's for sure. And, and um, yeah, it's just crazy how this has turned around so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Bobby, so, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the role that I, I play a lot on this uh, of Ryan McDonough stand. Uh, it, uh, does Ryan deserve oh, any of the credit for what's going on 
uh, right now when you look at the core uh, of this team, at least the young core, having come during uh, during his time and having been either uh, mo- primarily drafted by him? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to, right? I mean, you have to give some type of credit because I think he's got Booker, Bridges, and Aiton, right? Those are his yep. three. Those are his three guys there, and and they're part of the foundation. I mean, I mean, drafting where Booker, where you drafted him, um, you know, these guys. I mean, Aiton was one, but the other guys were not top three or top four players. So I think you have to give him. Um, I th- certainly have to. You have to give him credit for what. For those three guys, I mean, then the other side, you can not give him credit for some of the other draft picks, right? So it's kind of like he got less he got less right than he did wrong. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a two way street as far as you know, give and take. So yeah, he um, he should get credit, but I think you know. James should get a lot of. I mean, the Chris Paul trade, guys, (laughs) come on, right? Like Chris, the Chris Paul trade is kind of equal to um when we made the jason kid trade in um new New jersey Jersey, jason was younger at the time and we had gotten him from phoenix and you know he had that domestic issue and it's amazing if it was this day and age you know (laughs) if we would even make that trade now and um you know the impact that jason just had on the roster and we had kenyon and we had richard and um, we had drafted jason collins you know some of the um kerry kittles so we had a, a a good group there but we just couldn't find our way you know it's like it's like I, I i think i was on phoenix radio and i said like the chris trade is almost like when peyton manning went to the broncos right and i think chris got more yeah, life yeah, yeah. i think he's got more legs in life than what peyton had in denver i mean that was kind of the last run for him but when you get that quarterback level player and it's a point guard it's not like a wing or a five um and just his veteran um you know his veteran leadership and what he can do on a court um you know, hats off, but it's funny how this business works because two years ago we could probably be saying that, hey, that Chris Paul contract's terrible. <laughs> you know, like, hey, well, he's injury prone. He can't stay on the court. He's owed uh, $120 million. It's not touchable, but he's been healthy. That production. was the rhetoric, right? I mean, that was totally the rhetoric when he sure. went to Oklahoma uh, City. It was like, wow, the uh, Rockets upgraded. To so, get Russell Westbrook. So some of us said that right before the Chris Paul trade to Phoenix, too. <laughs> I don't know who, but some of us said that on this program. Yeah, somebody, too, so. somebody on this program completely trashed the trade before it even happened. Well, yeah, especially, that's, that's, especially yeah. where I mean, Ricky hasn't been good in, in Minnesota at all. Hmm. I mean, it, like, I feel like Ricky is. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the team. I want to give Ricky, Ricky a huge shout out. Now, while Chris Paul might be that 24 foot ladder. You know, Chris Paul or uh, Ricky Rubio was at least a, a six foot ladder. I mean, that that guy elevated the team to to yeah. reasonableness, to to competitive, and then that's where Devin Booker started getting a taste of being able to win games. Uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton got a taste of being able to win games. Mikel Bridges is best on a good team, and he's showing it. and And uh, he got to he got to show it last year. And, and Ricky was a big driver behind that eight no run in the bubble too. So uh, he was definitely um, uh, on the way up. But obviously, Chris Paul has a much much higher ceiling. I love your uh, analogies to. I mean, obviously, as a Suns fan, I love your analogies to Peyton Manning going to the Broncos because he took them to the Super Bowl. And I love your analogy of Jason Kidd going to the Nets because they went to two straight finals after that. They didn't win them, but they were in the finals two straight years. I think those are incredible. And there's other examples of that too, where there's a piece that just makes a team click. You've got Detroit in the early 2000s when uh, it was was Sheed, right? She got acquired at the trade deadline and 
Well, he oh, was. Don't remind me. Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah. that, that was the infamous. Rashid got traded to Atlanta. I think he was only there for. It was in 2004. I think he was there for maybe two days, and then he got traded to Detroit, and that and we wound up losing to them in the conference semis that year, and that put him. That really put him over the top when oh, they got yeah. Rashid in that trade. It just it was a it was a puzzle piece that just clicked. It's not necessarily that he was the greatest player in the history of basketball, but they clicked. Obviously, Pau Gasol going to the Lakers clicked. Let's hope that has that same kind of effect for the Suns. Now, Bobby, I uh, think it was a few weeks ago. I don't. I forget the context, but I'm while we're talking, Saul and Espo and I are talking about the Suns being legitimate contenders for the conference finals and uh, potentially the finals just because of how this team is set to win with Chris Paul closing and, and Devin Booker closing. Um, I don't think you're quite as high on the Suns. And can you tell me what you think the Suns might be missing to get to that level? You know what? I, I'm probably the more, you know, I think this break has helped a lot of people where you kind of take a back seat and maybe evaluate the first half of the season. Because I think what, what happens is the games, there's so many games that are piled up on top of each other. And they're, you know, teams are playing three and four nights and back to backs and like, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, you know what, Phoenix isn't in that five or six seed anymore. They're in number two. Well, how did that happen? And then, and you go back and you look at, you know, the 30, I think they've played 35 games so far. Mm-hmm. You know that they've only had one stretch where they've lost two games in a row? That Denver and That stretch. was after the COVID thing. That yeah. was in, and uh, obviously those, uh, we're still frustrated over those Denver losses. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that's what really good teams do. You don't yeah. lose, you don't lose, you don't go on these three or four win- game winning streaks and you win four in a row before the break or five in a row and you stretch together games and, um, so I would say I'm probably a lot more higher on them now, um, than maybe I was two or three weeks ago. And it was more of just kind of sitting back and looking through their game tape and evaluating the rest of the league. I, I think, I mean, they are in that, I, I guess if we tier it and eat in the Western conference, they're in the tier with, I would put them in with Utah the, in the two LA teams. Yeah. I really would just because they're, they're, I like their depth, um, I like Sarge coming off the bench, you know, certainly with Chris and Booker and how Aiton has played here. I think they're deep. I mean, I think they go eight or nine, nine deep here. And I'm just not sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if LeBron and you know, or certainly if 80s healthy, yeah, I mean, they're going to be the, 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 the favorite. I don't know what I'm getting in with the Clippers when we get into playoff time. I don't, you know, show me, right? I mean, I, I think I know what I'm getting with Kawhi, <laughs> Paul George. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm getting with the other guy. I'm, and, and, and the same with Utah too. And, you, I think Utah is a great story, and they're they're nine deep. Uh, you know, they got th- you know three all stars with Mitchell, Gobert, and Connolly. But here's a team that's the furthest they've ever gotten was a conference semifinals. So mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I think I think they have a chance to get to a, a conference finals or a finals. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would put uh, I would put Phoenix right up there with uh, with those other three teams. When I look at Utah, I I I almost see Phoenix in a mirror image uh to be honest with you. You know, when when you got you got two star point guards, you have two star shooting guards, you have two dominant defensive centers, like it's it's almost 
you know, a mirror for mirror image. And so Utah never really is a concern for me. I think the team in the in the West that really is a sleeper is Denver. I just yeah. feel like Denver is going to come on all of a sudden. Um, you know, they've been p- playing kind of sloppy this season. They've lost a couple games that they shouldn't have lost. Uh, and then I think, you know, Jamal Murray is Jamal Murray, and we saw that in the bubble last year. But moving back to Phoenix, uh, you know, as we move forward, the trade deadline is going to come up. What piece do you think the Suns will be looking to add um, as a priority before we get to that trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think they're probably more of a buyout type team as far as a buyout destination. Um, I mean, I would put them right up there with any of these other teams as far as you know, with some of these contending teams. As far as a team that has a chance to go far in the playoffs. Plays in great weather. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you know, hey, if I'm going to go to a team in April, I want you know at least some some pretty good weather here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I probably maybe a backup five. I would say maybe you get a little bit depth behind um, uh, behind DeAndre. But like, if you look at their depth chart, um, I mean, there's depth across the board. Yeah. You know, I mean, can you get another shooter? Maybe a veteran shooter just as an insurance policy. You know, I mean, I'd love to see JJ Redick on that team. You know, like I, I mean, just as, I, and I don't know, um, I don't know about you know him playing 20, 22 minutes, but I'd love to have him as like a, a basically an insurance policy mm-hmm. in some of these close games here. Um, and we'll see what happens. I don't think trade wise, but we'll see what happens with him in a in a in a buyout situation here. But um, yeah, I see them more of a buyout team. I, I always say that if you want to be and get in the trade game, you got to you got to um, sell before you can buy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm ready to, uh, I don't, I look at the roster. I don't, you know, I'm not ready to sell any of these, you know, any of these guys, and especially your, your minimum guys, you know, more and Galloway are on minimums. They don't really return much value there. And you've, you've got that pick that's outstanding um, to Oklahoma city. So you're kind of restricted as far as what you can do from a um, first round pick. But yeah, I think, I think, I think Phoenix, I think the two LA teams, probably M- Milwaukee, you know, certainly Brooklyn has already with, with the addition of Blake, I think those will be the, the more active teams when, um, you know, guys who don't get traded are in that, that buyout period. In that mindset as a GM, <clears throat> you're this close, right? You know, you know, you, and we all know how, how long it's been since Phoenix has been this close. Yeah. Um, does that maybe spur you a little bit, spur you on to make a move a little bit faster than you normally would have? I think there's two schools of thought of it. I mean, if you go back and study San, you know, you know, San Antonio hasn't made an in-season trades, I think since 2014 and Golden State during those great runs didn't make a, um, shoot, I don't think they made, I think the, the, they didn't make an in-season trade before the Russell trade last year. They just kind of kept it intact. Right. The one thing you, you, you have to be careful and by adding a 15th player is different than moving, trading two guys that are good locker room guys and that have good value for maybe one that can, you think and can put you over the top. I've seen it destroy locker rooms before. Um, you know, you, you think you have something good and then all of a sudden, oh, why did we lose in the first round? Um, you know, they, we always go back to the, um, I think it was the Evan Turner trade, right? Evan Turner got traded from Philly to Indiana that year. And then they went up, I think they lost in the second round or maybe the first round. And like people go back to that trade. I think Danny Granger got traded and Danny wasn't playing that much. Um, and he was hurt and in and out of the lineup, but he was a good locker room guy. Right. And he kind of kept everyone in check. So I do think you have to be careful from a trade standpoint when you're a top two or top three team in the, in the, in the conference, moving a piece, it's like almost like a domino stack, right? You move the piece and the whole thing falls down here. So, um, you know, the, so there are two schools of th- thought, a, can we add one guy to, 
to put us over the top, but maybe we could do it more of a player that gets waived in, in, in the buyout market. Let me, of the pull, buyout, let me, oh, go ahead. Esme. I was just gonna say, speaking of the buyout market, when you look at it, do, do the sons have a slight advantage because if the right guy gets let go, they could utilize that biannual exception that they're still sitting on where they could, if, if it's the right guy, say it's a JJ Reddick and they believe he's got a, a couple of years in the tank that you could actually offer more than just a minimum to ride through the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think usually, I mean, the buyouts are, are interesting. Usually the buyouts are in, in, Blake was totally different just because Blake had two years left. So that's why that $13 million number was so high. The buyout, and if you have a, a, the team that you're playing for works with you, it's usually the difference of the prorated minimum at the time that you were, that you were going to leave on a table. So if, you know, if, if JJ Reddick, you know, is his number, let's say is million, a million dollars in a minimum, you know, usually that's kind of what the haircut is. Yeah. You, know, you don't really, you don't try to squeeze that player um, yeah. unless you've got multiple years left and um, and you know that you're going to get that biannual. I think you have to be careful with the biannual just because it is a good tool to have, but once you use it, you don't get it next year, right? So you, don't, yeah. you can't use it in back-to-back years. But, yeah, I mean, if you can get – if it puts you – if you think it puts you closer to getting a um, conference finals or an NBA finals, then, you know, if you have the blessing from ownership, then you go out and you go out and use that. So the reality then is <clears throat> the biannual doesn't make the player any extra money this year. It's the having it next year yeah. and knowing. But then that player also has to believe they won't get more just in the open market this summer. So that's that makes it a tougher sell. I want to throw a couple of names to you um, and just without telling you how I feel about these players, you, you let me know how you think they would fit on the Suns as a as a, as a buyout or, or a late ad, or maybe um, uh, a shakeup trade a little bit. So first name, Hassan Whiteside. What if he gets let go? Yeah, I mean, I that think... That was I weird think, emphasis on the syllable right there, Dave. Hassan. <laughs> well, I, I mean, oh, sorry. I, I think the good thing with Whiteside is, is that he's in a role in Sacramento uh, of coming off the bench. So it's not like you would be getting him where he's been their primary starter, and now all of a sudden he's backing up eight and he's paying the buck. Right. Like that's, I think that he's already kind of, and it's kind of like how it was in, um, in Portland, his last stop. Um, you know, certainly when, you know, when Nurkic came back that he was kind of coming off the bench. So as far as a, a big, a veteran big that's been in played in big games. Yeah. For three months, I would be fine with Hassan Whiteside. I, I, you know, I don't think he would kind of, you know, you know, I don't think he would do damage as far as within, you know, within that locker room there. I think, and I think he would know what his role is already. Uh, and what about Andre Drummond? I would be careful with Drummond. I really would because I think Andre is looking to go somewhere where he is going to start. Um, Andre is in it. Um, you know, he's certainly looking for that, probably that next big payday. I would be careful if, if bringing an Andre Drummond and you're going to play him 15 to 20 minutes behind DeAndre Ayton. I, I think I, I think I would be um, I would be careful there. Okay, uh, and then the last thing. So there, there. I know you talked about uh, shaking the tree too much uh, could could make everything fall down, but there's rumors that um, a John Collins might be yeah. available uh, this this spring, and the Suns, ha- mostly being a young team besides Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, he you know he could fit. Uh, timeline wise with the Suns and they could use a kind of a more of a high flyer pick and roll finisher 
in their lineup. But is that something you would go for if you're a GM of a of a two or three seed right now, or is that something you you don't? Well, I think it depends on where you are cap wise this off season. I mean, I think if you're a team that's over the cap and 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 then you don't have the flexibility to put down a, a big offer sheet. Like if I was um, New York or um, you know San Antonio or Oklahoma City, some of these teams that have forty million dollars in room, I'd probably be less hesitant be less um, inclined to do so and because maybe I can just go out and put a big offer sheet down and not have to give up multiple draft picks. I think if you're a team like, you know, like Phoenix, it goes back to like, all right, what are you selling? All right. Like the cost yeah. is, you know, for to get John Collins at Atlanta, the cost is going to probably cost you. Yeah. Is it what it costs New uh, Dallas with Porzingis? Probably not, but I think I think Phoenix would be looked. I mean, Atlanta would be looking for one really good first round pick, probably one good player um, back in return. And and I know they've got Gallinari there, and um, but I look at it like Gallinari's got two more years after this year. Like Collins will should should be there when Gallinari is off that mm -hmm. off that roster there. So for the for the Hawks, it's basically like, all right, are we comfortable paying him? like Brandon Ingram type money, right? Like that's, and then you got Trey up coming up for an extension. So that's, you know, and you're 15 and 21 or whatever your record is and you're outside the play. And that, so that's kind of their, I would think their thinking would be, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would certainly, if I was a team like Phoenix, I'd certainly put a call in to see like, well, what's, you know, I mean, it, I mean, every team is doing it. You know, what's the price tag for John Collins, right? And it might be a little bit my, rich. They might say, you know, hey, Sarge, Bridges, and, you know, whatever. Or we want, you know, Bridges and something, right? So, and then what happens is that, and I've been in a situation before, you make those type trades, and then you got, you got like no leverage as far as when you get to try it, when you get to John yeah. Collins' free agency, because, hey, I just gave up. I just gave up bridges. Now I got to overpay the guy to keep them. Like, it's just kind of like a, a, you know, that's how the process goes. So I think it's worth certainly putting a phone call and I think every team should do that, but I think it, you'll probably come back with a, you know, a little bit too rich for us. For James Jones, since he knows that the Chris Paul deal has two years and that window may be very small. Does that, does that impact who you go after in terms of the buyout market? When you're looking at that, I feel like that, just the Chris Paul factor is a little added pressure since you, you, you only are guaranteed to have him for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, Chris is, uh, Chris is interesting. Um, and I, I've mentioned this before. I think I mentioned it last week. Like I could really see Chris Paul opting out of his contract out of his $42 million contract and, and, and signing back with Phoenix for kind of going like the Gordon Hayward route. And adding, um, <clears throat> taking a little bit less money next year, and then adding maybe two years, and maybe you know maybe they do something with that third year. You know he's 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 restricted by the over thirty eight rule, so you have yeah, you know, you're kind of you know that's the you know if you really want to bang your head against the wall for an hour, go try reading the over thirty eight rule. <laughs> <laughs> he was part of putting that together, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean he's restricted. Yeah, I, I could just see him doing that because he will have some leverage, especially if this team goes on a deep run to maybe get some length back yeah. on that back end of his uh, of his contract. So looking at the buyout market, any surprise names that you think may pop up that we're not uh, we're not thinking of right now? Well, I mean, I think Otto Porter will be interesting in Chicago. Just, I mean, but Otto's been hurt a lot. Um, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup. He has, has not really, since they got him in that trade a couple of years ago, has really not had an impact at all. Um, 
I mean, that's probably one name um, to keep an eye on. It's like you look at the stand. The hard thing is that you have a lot of players or a lot of teams that are still in it, right? Besides, I guess, Minnesota. Um, you know, I don't think Sacramento is in it. You know, I mean, I think they're really on the outside. There will be, be hard for them to get even into the play-in area. Orlando will be interesting, you know, like guys like Fournier maybe, you know. I mean, teams that are really kind of out of it. Um, but the East keeps you in it. <laughs> the Eastern Conference keeps yeah. you in this race for, um, for, for a long time. So the hard thing with, like, with Drummond in the buyout market, and I get it that he's basically has been on ice for over a month now. When you do a buyout for a player like that who's going to be a free agent, I mean, you lose leverage because a sign and trade option goes out the window, mm-hmm. right? So when you go to um, the Lakers, for example, and you know the Lakers will be restricted as far as what they can pay him, tax mid-level at 5'9". He loses bird rights, so it's not like they can use him in a sign, sign and trade. And now Andre Drummond's all of a sudden staring at you know, the, with the, the teams that have cap space, you know, San Antonio, Houston, New York, Oklahoma city, you know, the list goes on is, is a team willing to go out where maybe the, at the end of the day, the best thing is to just kind of play it out, you know, and, and maybe there is a signing trade candidate out there in the off season, even if that means that you don't play for the rest of the season. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's a, that's a really interesting take because he's got, yeah, it is a very tough decision for, for Andre to, to make on that. Um, okay. I've got uh, one big final question, at least in, in, in a lot of Suns fans minds, you talked about John Collins needing, if, if he was acquired by a team, you have to decide whether to overpay him or pay him big money in a, in a restricted free agency. The Suns are one year away from having to extend or let go Deandre Aiden and Mikel Bridges. The way they're playing right now, the way that it, the history of these draft type, types of draft picks and types of players go, it looks like both of them would be in line for big extensions. As a former assistant GM working on these kind of contracts constantly, you're you're a big money, uh, numbers guy and money guy um, for ESPN too still, so I know you're really still up on all this. What would you do? Well, I think Bridges is is a little bit more easy to figure out than Aiton. I, I do. I think there's comps out there for Bridges. If it's, you know, everybody's going to probably use the OG comp that Toronto yeah. did. I think four for 72 <clears throat> was that number. And they gave him a player option in that, that fourth year. You're going to probably hear a lot of it. So that number can go anywhere from 72 and it can go anywhere to where Jalen Brown is, right? At like 102. I don't know, you know, 106 and change. I think that's kind of your range, right? It's a big range. Yeah. So how do you get to it? Like Aiton, I have no idea what his number is because <laughs> like my, my concern with DeAndre is that like when you get to year two and three of that contract, probably Chris Paul is not going to be on your roster anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. who's your point guard going to be? Um, is it, um, is DeAndre having this good of year because Chris is there or maybe he's just take that, that big step. Is he a, um, a max guy, number one option? Let's play through you every game. I don't know if we're there. I mean, I think mean, there's some games he's got, you know, he's got eight field goal attempts. There's some games he's got 16, you know, some games, you know, he's not, they don't, you know, he's not used uh, and it's just the way they play. You know, when you've got Booker and Paul and, and you're, you're, you're heavy on your wings. So it's, I don't think he is a, blank check type guy like we saw with Tatum Mitchell Fox and then eventually out of bio. I, I don't, I don't know if I'm there. I, I need to see more of uh, a DeAndre. Could he get there? I think he could. 
Um, but that's going to be, that's a hard decision. And I always say that re, um, rookie extensions are the hardest things to negotiate. They really are. Unless you're like a sure all NBA type player where you're just going to max them out like Jason Tatum. You're just going to give them mm-hmm. that where like you're not negotiating against anybody, right? There's no team coming in with an offer sheet. You're really just negotiating against the clock, which is the Monday before the start of the regular season. And there's a reason why all those guys, you know, there were six or seven that got extended like on the last day because it's, it's a hard process to go through. And on the other end, you have the the fallback as restricted free agency, right? You have the right to match any offer sheet. Um, So you have leverage until that, that sheet comes in here. So um, I probably want, I probably need to see more from, from Aiton. I, I like what I've seen so far, you know, um, but I, I'm not quite there as far as kind of writing him a blank check right now. He yeah. is Bobby Marks. You can follow him on Twitter at Bobby Marks 42. You can find him on ESPN. Bobby, anything new coming up that you want to promote that you've got coming out soon? Yeah, I mean, we've got all the trade deadline content up. So we've got three pieces up, and those keep, those keep on getting refreshed um, every day. We've got the, the piece on all the players that are restricted that can't get traded. We've got the expiring contracts. you got guys that have contracts that have two-plus more years. Um, we also have a document as far as um, we take a look at all 30 teams as far as, you know, the controllable contracts, to, you know, kind of who's off the board, big questions, and then we have the big – of course, we've got the big master trade guide for all 30 teams as far as kind of a deep dive in there. So we'll be updating that up until, you know, certainly up until three o'clock on, on the 25th. And I think we'll probably see some action start to, to pick up a little bit here. I think the, the Blake Griffin signing was probably the first domino to go. And we'll see if a team like Philadelphia now reacts to that. Um, but it's as we've we've said along, it's, this is an interesting market just because of the teams with the hard cap. Right. I mean, like restricted as far as making trades. And then half of the teams in the league have traded out picks already. So there's a there's a restriction there as far as what mm-hmm. teams can can send in a trade. Oh, Bobby, uh, do you have you a so bold, well, hold on one sec? Do you have a bold prediction on who's gonna somebody would make a, the most impactful trade for these playoffs coming in to these playoffs? Do you have something you you think is brewing or could happen? You know, I don't. I mean, it's just kind of like, um, you know, trades are trade. The, the trades usually happen in like right on that day. Like, I don't know if we're going to see like an Andre Iguodal type trade like we saw last year when Miami kind of went out and got him and Crowder and Solomon Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. What do teams like Miami, Dallas, and Toronto do at the deadline? The teams that have taken a conservative approach to the offseason of 2021 and have lined their books up to have, you know, between 25 and 30 million dollars in cap space. Three teams that could maybe go on a run during the playoffs, but are they willing to go and take back money that impacts them in the offseason? I think that's a big question for me. And there are teams that have, you know, Kyle, you know, Kyle Lowry in Toronto's on that big expiring contract. Um, we'll see where this Raptors team goes in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, Philadelphia is going to be interesting. I mean, that's kind of the team I've circled just because they have the right mix of expiring draft picks. They got a big trade exception to go out and use. Um, and they got so, Daryl Morey. And they've got Daryl, um, who rarely, I know he made the Capella trade last year um, and they got um, Covington back, but Daryl rarely makes in season trades. You know, um, that was kind of the uh, the outlier last year. Hmm. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for your time. We truly do appreciate it. 
appreciate it. Highly recommend following Bobby for for everything when it comes to front office, uh, you know, insight in the NBA and trade deadline analysis. So make sure to follow him. I, I'm Greg Esposito. Thank you for joining us here on the Solar Panel. He is Dave King, along with Saul Bookman, and we'll be back Saturday with our live edition on YouTube. Thanks, everybody. Cool. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.